everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. come on the show i'd like to point out yeah can i just point out you know so you know this well, is I not my bum pontius pilot in this <laughs> washing my hands <laughs> now, let's have a gap for silence you, and you got just... plausible deniability yeah i have i've always got plausible deniability it's my way i run my way i run my my life hello and welcome to another episode of we're not wizards my name's richard i'll be your host for july because look, it's July. It's like the nights are now going to start to draw in. It's going to get dark. It's going to get cold. It's going to get the the kind of the evil things are going to come lurching out from where they've been hiding. And they've only got one thing on their mind. They're not after a sandwich. You know, they're not after popcorn. They're not even after eating their vegetables. They're potentially after some tasty humans. So joining me from Pangea Games, <laughs> he keeps on rolling, rolling, rolling. But he's never heard that one before. It's Brandon. Never heard that it's one. Brandon Rollins who's back. He's back after we just worked out. It's like a long time because it takes that long for people to get over the first time they guessed. <laughs> and he's back. How are you, Brandon? How are you? Well, sir? I'm doing really well. How are you? I am on my seventh cup of coffee in the last hour and a half, so you, you know. You big baby, you haven't even had double digits. <laughs> Just like you know, everything's <laughs> kind of like floaty and light and very fast, so it's quite good. Um, last time we spoke, we were talking all about driving because we were That's talking right. about highways and byways, and we found out an awful lot about your good self and highways and byways. Didn't quite make it, so you went back to the drawing board and you took the people from that were in the car and you put them out there and you put them potentially in the belly of some monsters. So, if we like, I mean, obviously at the time with highways and byways, you must have felt, you know, obviously it must have been a little bit of a a, a non happy experience. To oh see, yeah, so. that was. It was it was definitely difficult when that campaign went sideways because I had put a goal of like, without double checking, I think it's fifteen grand. Mm. I got to about four and a half about two weeks in. It was pretty clear which direction it was going in. Yeah. Um. Nobody wants that to happen. I mean, it's terrible. Everybody who, who starts a campaign hopes that they never run into that. Uh-huh. But I actually ended up learning some really, really, really valuable stuff from that that stuck with me for. Well, ever since I ever since I launched that campaign, so it actually turned out weirdly to work out for the better. Did you think? Was it just the theme? Was it the game? Was it? Because I, I I remember you writing a blog effect. post about it. I think. Um, but I mean, what was what was your kind of what did you think was the reasons? 
So there were a number of factors that led into that. And the easiest way I know to, to bundle it into one is just to use the phrase product market fit. Like everything you make it with the intention to sell it, it's got to be perfect for a very specific kind of person because mm-hmm. those are the people you ultimately want to buy it. Nobody yeah. just comes off their hard-earned money for no reason. So that never that theme, you don't really see that theme anywhere else. I've seen a couple of other games capture that, but it's really, really uncommon. You don't see the mechanics that I was using in there very um, in very many places. Let's see. The price point was really high relative to what else you saw on Kickstarter for its weight. Like it was $50 and it maybe had about like $30 worth of weight to it. So there were just a number of things that didn't quite fit into um, selling it to one particular audience. And everybody was like, that looks cool. But nobody was super passionate about it. It was okay. It was broadly okay, but it wasn't excellent to any particular subsection of people. Do you think you need somebody to tell you when you're being bad? Absolutely. A, do you know? Do you think that's because I see and every? I mean, I go about. I, I kind of like hang about Kickstarter. You know, kind of like because I'm not allowed near the. I'm not allowed near kind of near the local garage anymore, because um, <laughs> I used to steal stuff from it. So they got the cops on me, but. um you know, I hang about Kickstarter a fair bit. I do see some games which I'm looking at and just saying, I'm not sure where the market is for this. This looks like an amazing game for you, an amazing game for your group, because you have been handing on every, standing on everybody's shoulders, telling them how to play it, and thus they've been able to enjoy it from there. And do you think sometimes people just need to say, hey, I know this is your dream, I know this is your goal, but um, it's maybe not going to kind of jump out of you kind of thing um but you know um but you dusted yourself off yeah and you went back to the drawing board and um is highways and byways ever going to come back i mean is this you know is it is it kind of put to bed now really are you gonna are you just gonna leave that as a learning generally you got you you and uh, anybody listening to this should consider that to be done however if if a couple of things happen, I might reconsider it. Like, if it had potential as an educational game and, like, a schooling system, that yeah. would make me change my mind. Alternatively, if something happened with materials where I could make it cheaper and mm-hmm. revisit some of the parts of the game that didn't work, I would absolutely go back to it again. Because I think there was enough interest in it to make it work at a much lower price point, but I was... The materials were pretty expensive on that one in particular, too, because it had a lot of cards and punch-outs and a really uh-huh. big board. Okay, okay. And there were just it, some intractable problems with that that you couldn't really get around easily. I think it happens. I think, you know, um, the Kickstarter beast nowadays anyways, I see a lot of people kind of taking, like, second and third attempts in order to kind of get their game kind of funded. And sometimes the... The evolution of a game actually happens during the Kickstarter experience itself. And some people take their Kickstarter game and they go away and they redefine it and they come back even stronger and they fund very quickly. I mean, thinking off the top of my head, you know, Gladiatores was one of them, which has just gone ahead and funded. There's one Legends of Novus, um, Wes uh, Woodbury's game, who... We 
you know, I believe a lot in it. Um, he, I wrote a preview for it. I kind of enjoyed my time with it. He took it to Kickstarter. It's not going anywhere. He brought it back to Kickstarter, and all of a sudden, people are just like going, oh, yeah, this is the right time for this kind of particular game. So I see that, you know, I think it seems to be a continual kind of um, learning experience. Um, Kickstarter's changed, though. I mean, what it were has you... changed an about the, What about the guidelines that have just come out? Because I noticed that you put a tweet out there um, to say, you know, asking people's thoughts. I mean, these new guidelines have come out regarding kind of representation of the game, representation of, you know, assumptions that you might make about the retail, you know, retail releases and things like that. What did you think about the kind of that kind of announcement? I feel like that announcement, if you've been just generally watching the way that Kickstarter has gone for, let's say, the last three years, it kind of it kind of plays into something that I've expected to happen for a while. In 2016, when I... um. When I was first getting started, it was about half cell phone videos. Yeah. It was not the super polished voiceover kind of thing. Mm. Um, you could still get away with not having all the art done and stuff like that. And now you really have to have a polished video. Your page needs to follow a certain specific expected structure and so on and so on. Um, so a lot of that isn't really surprising. There are a couple of of just odd rules in there, like no photorealistic um, representations of your product. And I was just thinking about how every single board game thumbnail will include some kind of digital version of their game, like digital mock-up of their game instead of an actual prototype. And I'll, I'll be interested to see if that rule in particular is enforced. Because that's one, the key here. Enforced. Yeah, I don't know if this is a minute. Yeah, I don't know if it's a miniatures thing or something like that, because I think that they've been... I think there was a couple of cases last year where people were putting out big, huge kind of projects, so lots of miniatures and stuff like that, and then there was that one case of that, I think maybe even was last year, the year before, the one case of the company that kind of put a game out and everyone went, oh, hang on a second, you've entirely plagiarised the rules from from a completely different, um, a completely, you know, a completely different game kind of thing. And I'm wondering if they, what they're trying to do is they're trying to just to get it back to the grassroots idea kind of thing. But I, I don't know, it's kind of strange. There's part of me that welcomes it. There's part of me that thinks, okay, well, we're kind of getting back from maybe lowering, bringing the bar back down so people that do have ideas that maybe are filming on a mobile phone, people that maybe, you know, they have got... The guys that have got the prototypes that are going out there to the games groups that are going out there to the cons every weekend, that they can stick their prototype that they've got on a table, on a white tablecloth, or in one of those white booths, take photographs and go, look, there it is, it's real, it's physical, it's tangible, Mm -hmm. you can actually touch it, Um, as opposed to kind of like, I guess the computer representations and gifts. I mean, you've got, on your campaign itself, you've got kind of like a computer representation of how you actually play, you know, play a card and how that how that card turns into the shapes that you then play on the kind of the 
on the kind of the game. And I'm wondering, under new guidelines, is that, as you're saying, is that because that's pre, you know, because that's rendered, because it's not photorealistic, because you've not actually got your kind of hand coming in and moving about and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know. I think, as you've said and I've said, I think it's interesting to see how they enforce it and when they bring out, when they bring out the clause and do enforce it and what they give as an example. And if they're go- and who they're going to be going f- and who they're going to make kind of an example as well, because they recently made made an example um, of colossal games, where the way that they were dealing with their kickstarters and they had a whole pile of kickstarters kind of suspended and cancelled them um, on them. Um, and I don't know if that was a bigger kind of message to everybody to say, oh, okay, this is how we're playing it now. Yeah, I know there was at least one case where it. Or, or probably multiple, where a company had a campaign they hadn't fulfilled yet, and they weren't allowed to launch a new one until the other one was completely fulfilled. Yeah. Which, like, if you really think about that one, it's like, okay, printing, fulfillment, everything that goes along with that process, sea freight, that's the biggest part of it in a lot of cases, um, that's four months minimum. That's minimum. That's really, really poly- Pollyanna-ish optimistic. And like yeah, but, um, that almost enforces a, a four-month buffer period between uh, game launches if they enforce that. Well, is that not getting back to maybe it's a maybe it's a kind of a, a bit of a, a kind of a kick in for the guys that are using Kickstarter as this is their business model and this is how maybe primarily fund it because if you think about it, if your entire business year so far has been release in January, you know, fund in, you know, release in January, fund in February, release in March, fund in April, and then have a couple of months break to catch up and then release again in July, release again in October, leave it over December because it's quiet time. You know, you must be sitting there and if you're all of a sudden you're saying, well, you can't, you can't kind of launch a campaign unless you're at actually proving to us that you're doing some fulfillment with the previous campaigns that's going to this it's going to push some more prolific kickstarter companies to have a think about how they're kind of carrying out their campaigns during the year again you know um i think that's what happened with colossal there's a lot of there's other companies out there that that pr- prolifically release you know i mean obviously um cool mini or not have regular campaigns, um, but I think they're, and this is where we're getting interesting, is are they going to be the guys that are going to get taken to task, but they're providing a huge whack of um, Kickstarter cash for Kickstarter. Exactly. They want to be careful who they take on because that's that's their revenue, right? Right there is these blockbuster campaigns and steady ones too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think a lot of what is motivating Kickstarter, and this is, you know, conjecture, is at some point they have to reckon with the fact that there's a good chunk of campaigns that don't fulfill. I hear in 2012 it was like 9%. It might be higher or lower than that. But, like, if you buy something and you wait months and you've got a 90% chance of receiving a product... It's kind of a problem because a lot of people treat Kickstarter like a store nowadays, and I have yeah. to wonder if there are implications legally or, or, or another way that uh, Kickstarter has to weigh into 
their rulemaking when they are making those rules. Yeah, I think there was a in the UK especially. I think they had to um, to even to get kind of Kickstarter to be a legal platform in the UK. There was some jiggery pokery that went with illegalese because technically, I think the rules for pre-order in the UK are slightly different in terms of the laws to the US, mm-hmm. which is and why you know which why Kickstarter started off in the states. Over here, I mean, it's like as far as everybody else is concerned. As far as the IRS is concerned, it's revenue. It's revenue the minute you earn it, and and then you have mm-hmm. to you have that liability. You have to actually fulfill the campaign. I don't know if there are consumer protection laws. If there are, there are probably uh, they probably get applied to a state level, knowing how things um, operate. Yeah, I mean, but like it, yeah, the federal yeah. government treats Kickstarter no different than any other fundraising model. Yeah, as I say, it's, I think it's different over in the UK. But as I say, all it takes is like kind of one test case and somebody to push it through, and somebody to kind of go through kind of like all of the the rules and regulations and the terms and conditions of Kickstarter and grab on mm-hmm. some small thing that allows them to kind of run some kind of you know kind of test case, and then it'll just be you know folk are just going to be stuffing their faces with like tasty humans. <laughs> you know, with little lawsuits of money, um, bringing it back into the room, Brandon, bringing it back into the room, and we're in, bringing and we're in, back. and you're 100% funded. That's right. How did you feel when you were funded? I mean, after, obviously, what happened with highways and byways, Do you did you feel a sense of kind of, you know, this is how I wanted it to be. This is how I wanted to be said. I didn't want to be feeling kind of, ah, damn. So the uh, relief set in around like four grand because that came in about about a day. And that's the halfway mark. And I was like, yeah. whew, we crossed the halfway mark. <laughs> it's only four grand to go and we've already made that much. We're probably yeah. going to be okay. That's when the relief set in. The actual moment of funding, which... Not that I was watching closely enough to know it was 11.34 Eastern time in the evening. Um, I was tired because I was refreshing and it was bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Did you go to bed so with your laptop sitting? Was it sitting at the side of the bed? Was no, the I, I had it pulled up on my phone. They don't have a very sick. good um, mobile website, so I Maybe had it that. like in landscape mode so I could uh, wow. read the funding level with the sidebar that's over it. Just imagine your little head kind of like rocking forward. <laughs> like <that can> <laughs> Pretty much. It's just Dude. dark and it's just that phone. It's like, okay, you can't stay at seventy nine ninety forever, right? No. All we need is one more person. You get an email, though. I mean, in all fairness... I mean, you yeah, get an, you do get an email to say that it's been funded. I mean, I don't, you know, I know I'm taking away the drama. I also get probably hundreds of emails a day, so that would be a bad idea. I know, but you can put in, you know, I'm pretty sure you can set up a notification for Kickstarter. I'm pretty sure. I'm not trying to take the wind away. I'm oh, sure, but it's not it's, as dramatic that way. You you have to appreciate poetry. That's the thing. You have to appreciate see, the poetry. This is, why I'll, this is why I'll never be a good film director. <laughs> <laughs> You know, this will be, you know, and Von Howard tips in and goes. You would be turning would. on push notifications? No, he would I think be waiting there. Scorsese, Scorsese would have you running about, you know, and at the yeah, end of it, true. you'd be smashing your phone into somebody else's face and you'd be going, like, How'd you like that funding? 
And, you know, <laughs> Scorsese would have me slowly losing my mind, which is not totally far off for a Kickstarter, to be fair. Where did the idea come from, though? The idea of tasty humans? Well, obviously not smashing your phone off somebody's face, but... <laughs> <laughs> slowly, moving your, slowly losing your mind. Yes, the game, the game, Brandon. Where'd you get the idea oh. for the game? Oh, I was going to say that was a taxi driver reference. No, yeah. um, the game, the game itself actually came from a forty-eight hour design contest. I had done mm. something. It was to drum up uh, a little attention. I call it. Uh, it was Pan Jam. So it was mm. a forty-eight hour game jam for for board games, and all we said was they tasted quite delicious. And people had to make a board game around that. So 20 people had put together games, and there was this one that stood just head and shoulders above the rest that Ryan mm. had designed, and that was Fantasy Feast. The, the name came later. But mm. that idea of monsters eating people, arranging the body parts in their stomach, and this like really weird, comical inoffensive way that all started there i don't know what happened in his mind to make that happen in 48 hours but we were just blown away with it i'd be checking his lampshades to see if they're made of human skin i'm just saying all i know all i know is he's somewhere out in colorado and that's far enough away (laughs) if there if there's truly something to worry about there was that awkward bit where he's like you know so how can i reach you and you're like um i'll go give you a call it's yeah, be sure to use the PO box on the uh, on the payments that go his way. Um, how how do you play it then? Because I'm lo- I'm looking at it and it's kind of looking a bit kind of poyo poyo. You know That's the way that a- you know which is which is what I'm reminded of little singular shapes that are falling down in order to produce kind of I guessing kind of certain combinations in relation to scoring. Am I wrong or not? That's not that's not a bad explanation because um, a lot of people like it to liken it to Tetris in the sense that you've got shapes that fall down and you get to control where they where they fall. Unlike um, Tetris, however, the shapes break apart into individual tiles and they fall all the way to the bottom. The way the way the scoring works is how adventurer bunny parts are positioned relative to what's called leader tiles. Uh, right. determines how many points you get. And different leader tiles basically change your strategy. At the beginning of each round, you eat an adventurer. Each adventurer mm-hmm. has a certain uh, collection of body parts which gets dropped into the monster's stomach, and that's where those tiles come from in the first place. I just... Uh, you know what? I love... I love simplicity of games like this, where the actual... The overall premise of the game is very, very simple, but it's the tactical elements that come in through multiple kind of plays that really kind of add to the the replayability kind of of it. It's like um, King Domino, for instance, yeah? yeah? You know, the, the, the base behind King Domino is very, very simple. Lay some tiles, but make sure that the tiles that you're laying are all connected together just like dominoes, and then at the end you'll kind of you kind of score. But what you find with that is you automatically, after three or four games, because you can play three or four games, is that you start to see certain strategies that kind of appear kind of from that. So was that what you were kind of looking for when the game was coming together, was making it kind of as accessible as possible and making people able to kind of play it 
very quickly again and again and again to kind of get them embedded into playing it. Oh, absolutely, because we didn't want it to be a long game, and we wanted Hmm. it to be a straightforward game. And a lot of this came together in that contest, and it was in a pretty good state from the very beginning, but it was specifically play-tested in such a way where it's like, okay, we need to make this easy to pick up, we Hmm. need to make this relatively short, and when people play three, four, five, six times, the game has these emergent properties that that lead to greater strategy that's not immediately apparent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And what's the what was the what's the feedback been like from the from the playtesting? I mean, is was there a lot of changes that needed to be made to the game before you decided, right, this is what we're gonna go with? There were definitely a lot of changes that had to be made from the original idea. However, Mm. the original idea was really strong from the get-go. Like, it scored... We had an objective panel of of judges, and they gave it, like, uh, an 8 out of 10 right out of the box, which was... Wow. Yeah, I know. Like, I I don't know how to explain that. Like, we... The the only reason we went forward with this, the only reason I even took this on as a project at that time, is because it's like, holy smokes, you don't get an idea like that... Um, every single day. No, of course. No. When when you do receive an idea, no matter how good it is from the start, you have to play test everything. You have to make sure that it's not fiddly. You have to make sure it's not. Uh, make sure it's well balanced, and that's what a lot of the time was spent on. Make sure it's not fiddly. Make mm-hmm. sure it's well balanced. Of course, uh, watch out for time and other concerns like that. Um, an enormous amount of ink was spilled over trying to get those leader tiles right in particular, because there's 30 of them, and balancing 30 different scoring conditions, in addition to variable player powers and some other stuff going on, that's a lot. It's a ton of trial and error. When it came to kind of getting people um, playing the game, was it... Did you do... I mean, you're... Your kind of your list of people who you've got quotes from seems to be, you know, quite an awful lot more than what was in your kind of your previous campaign. Was that kind of like something that you concentrated on? Was like this time, I need to get, you know, I need to get certain people kind of looking at this and kind of playing this, so they can kind of give their impression on the game. Because I mean, you've got Rado on here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that must have been when you had Rado playing it. Was that must have been like, well, if he likes it, this is going to really, really help the kind of the the cause. It's really going to help us kind of get funded. Oh yes, and that was definitely something I was thinking. I was like, oh my goodness, we got Rado to do it. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of thing you get really excited about because he's not a decisive factor in campaigns, but no. him being there helps an enormous amount. Just having an endorsement from him. Um, that said, early on when we were getting feedback, you know, we're putting this in front of playtesting groups, of course, friends and family. Mm-hmm. In a couple of situations, I would promote the PNP with ads on yeah. Facebook to see if we got takers who filled out anonymous surveys. I use contests to push a lot of people to it, too. Um, but as for the reviewers, what we did is we got a list of pretty much everybody we could think of, and we printed as many copies as we felt like we could afford, and we sent them out to um, reviewers. And we ended up getting uh, fully 12 review copies, which was a lot to send out. Did you... um, 
as a designer, do you do you expect these back? No, I good? mean they're they're theirs at this yeah. point. If they okay. now if they want to return it or pass it on, yeah, absolutely, we'll take them up on that. But we never expect them to return them. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a, like an etiquette thing. As I say, oh, I always yeah. wonder. I always wonder from a designer point of view if you would prefer, you know, people who are looking at your game to maybe suggest other people that they can send it on to, kind of thing. Um, was it a prototype that you sent out, or was it fairly close to kind of like the fi- the f- the final version that people were getting? My policy on prototypes that you send out is you want them to be basically as close to production. Uh, mm-hmm. Production meaning your base game, no stretch goals. As possible, there are minor okay. variations, like the pawns were a little, like the one pawn was a little cheap. But um, other than that, it's really, really close to production quality. Cool, cool. Um, are you are you aiming this for a particular market? Are you aiming it for just for like any gamers? Is this going to be suitable for kind of like people who have kind of like families, young children? Have you kind of aimed for a particular kind of demographic when you've been? When you were, you know, going through everything from the art, because the art, the art design seems to be quite child friendly. A lot um, of of what we were thinking, it wasn't particular like age group. This has kids or anything like that. Yeah. It would, to me, I was like, okay, this game has some semblance to Azul and Sagrada. It's got mechanics in that same family. So I was yeah. like, let's go for people who like those games, <laughs> but let's go for people who like those games and also really like this kind of fantasy art style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. a lot of what I did to pull people in is I just tried different um, different TV shows with similar art styles and eventually landed on <laughs> Adventure Time as a, as a fairly close analog for what we were doing. Yeah, because the art is kind of it's um, you'd almost say it's kind of like the su- not super deformed style, if you know what I mean. But it's uh, um, caricature. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, a lot of the it's kind of yeah. I mean, everybody the knights look beefy <laughs> and big. The wizards are are scrawny, <laughs> thin, rubbish, useless, which is the way that wizards are. Um, you know, everybody. <laughs> Thank I'm, goodness we're not wizards. I'm just no. I'm not judging, but I am. Um, but also I noticed, you know, your price point for actually people getting, you know, getting a copy and getting through the door. I mean, this isn't, this isn't an expensive, this isn't an expensive game. I mean, no. you're looking at it's 20, you know, it's about, it's 20 pounds or about 25, $25. And again, was this something that you learned from highways and byways? Did you, were you conscious of? Of almost bringing this in as a kind of an appetizer type price, so people with the, if they had any inkling, if they looked at it and went, "This looks like fun." Yes, from the very beginning, I was thinking about price, but I wasn't just thinking about price. Like, okay, let's try and make this thing cheap. Mm. I wanted to choose materials that were high quality below mm. cost, and yeah. in doing that, in finding out what materials I could make cost effectively and what game we could put together for a certain price we that's that's how this is possible like it's not expensive to produce per unit this was a challenge to see how much game can we possibly make and sell Hmm. to people and make a decent amount of money for 25 dollars and we didn't want to exceed 25 dollars before shipping yeah are you charging shipping kind of after the campaign through like a pledge manager then Yes. 
But yeah. even then, we're trying to keep that as low as possible. Like, U.S. is five, and um, mm-hmm. let's see. I'd actually have to double-check on the international shipping prices, but I but they're pretty low, too. Yeah, they range yeah. between 10 and 15 for your um for your western countries and everywhere else is $18. That's assuming you're outside of Europe, UK, Australia, Canada, mm-hmm. so on. Mhm. Mhm. you um obviously with the the tariff stuff kind of coming up, was that kind of in your mind at all? Were you just going to say well, we're just going to have to suck it and see if this thing kind of kicks off? Yeah, that's the thing. We price that in. I'm assuming yeah. the 25% tariff's going to happen. You never know, because this is purely, um, how do I put this, executive branch. Like, this doesn't go by Congress or anything like that. So I'm like, now, considering the current occupant, anything could happen, so we're going to assume the worst will happen. Yeah. 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 And I, I, think, think, I think, last thing I read, I think they were, I think they were postponing it. I wasn't sure. I kind of saw a sniff on the grapevine because I think, um, I think there's been a lot of potential phone calls to, <laughs> to to senators <laughs> and stuff like that to say, um, well, hang on, do you realise that one of our biggest providers of our goods and services is China? So if you put this kind of on this, then there's a lot of people who are like, well, this is fine. You can, you know, you can put this tax on me, but I also need to explain to my kids and. <laughs> I'm just going to start shipping angry toddlers to the White House so they can, so he can explain to them why they can't get their toys because there's been a massive increase of like 20-25%, you know. Um, it's just uh, one of these. Just the, the amount of things that can happen to the supply chain um, as a result yeah. of tariffs, it's, it's bigger just, than most people yeah, realize. Like- I actually work with a... I actually work in shipping and logistics, at least on, on some client work, and it's really, really complicated. The just the number of impacts something like that can have. Yeah, because it's going to get pat. The cost is always going to get passed on to someone yes. else, you know. Which is, you know, which is so we'll see, we shall definitely see um, what will happen. But twenty five dollars is it's really not. A huge amount of money in terms of the scope, in terms of other games that are also kind of sitting on on kind of Kickstarter. With regards to kind of like stretch goals, have you had to? Are you looking at quality of life improvements for stretch goals, or are you thinking kind of different player board characters that people can have instead? I'll just go ahead and reveal it all because we've got um, we've probably got. We probably got like a couple of weeks before this goes live, and I'm hoping that they'll, it'll all be revealed by now. We're going first for component upgrades, like mm-hmm. replace a standard pawn with a custom wooden token. Oh, nice right, little okay. gesture. A lot of people really, really like that. Yeah. Um, next thing we do. Turns out this is not all that expensive. We've got it play-tested, ready to go. We just need a little extra cash for it. Is extra monsters. Instead of four, it would be six. And if we get enough, it would be eight. And again, these are like twelve and a half, fifteen thousand dollar goals. So these are not out of reach at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, after that, we're talking about like um, linen cards and just other goodies like that. That sounds good. That sounds good. No, as I say, to me, it appeals to me because I know it's going to be something that's going to appeal to my kids. 
the youngest and the older ones. I also know that it could be a nice little game that you could... It's kind of like you could either bring out at the beginning of the night or the end of the night because you know you could get like a quick a quick game of it to, you know, kind of help everybody kind of get ready to go or, or kind of calm down after a game, an end of a game kind of like gaming. Um, it won't it won't scratch the TI four edge, but it is it is a grittier, more strategic game than it lets on immediately. It kind of it subtly pulls people in because the art lures them into a sense of I can do this. The mechanics <laughs> are simple enough, and then you realize, oh wow, there's actually a lot to this. Yeah, I'm just it caught me uh, off guard too because <laughs> keep in mind I discovered this as part of a contest. Does that mean that you know your next thing? You're like saying, "Well, let's see what else we can, let's see what else we can see kind of out there." Because I know that um, the kind of the contest market seems to be kind of growing with people submitting their, you know, using it as a way to kind of expose their games to as many people kind of out there and potential influencers without kind of, especially if they're not really comfortable about pitching directly to publishers it gives them the confidence if they get somewhere in a competition that they can kind of do that you know what i mean so oh i'm certainly kicking around the idea and the biggest constraint is just finding judges that's it that's the only thing is just finding impartial judges for it you find the judges and i could put that together in a couple of weeks if people have listened along and they're chomping at the bit and they want to get themselves, find some more information out about Tasty Humans, they want to look at the campaign, where do they find it on and where do they find you on the internet webs? Easiest way to find me is social media is Pangea BG. That's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And mm-hmm. uh, you can also use BrandonTheGameDev.com. That's, my, that's a blog I use to write about a lot of these experiences. And if you're looking specifically for Tasty Humans, tastyhumansboardgame.com. There you go. So is that um, enough calls to action? I I I would just say you know go and have a look. You know, um, if you like, you know, the artwork itself is definitely something that's drawn me in, and I'm not necessarily looking for a full. I guess I'm not looking for a full a full human to eat. Because there's quite a lot of eating in your average human being, but maybe a bit of an arm and a leg would be quite nice. And this seems like a tasty kind of snack. Potentially not a hand or a foot, but definitely maybe a calf. Something you can chew on. Um, I think you can maybe a particularly there. beefy forearm. Like, whatever, as long as there's not tattoos, because they don't taste taste great when you bring the crackling up. I don't anyway. like the artificial dyes. <laughs> Just don't like the taste of them. They don't make them like it used to. So inorganic. Uh, terrible um oh my word um thanks for <laughs> cutting that out <laughs> uh, we're no we're keep don't be daft you've you've forgotten so much in 18 months um thank you very very much for coming on um, oh, thank you for having me on um if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to you know where we are maybe you don't know where you are maybe it's like your first time listening so if it is your first time listening just go to the googles and search for We're Not Wizards, and you'll find us, because we are there. We're on Instagram and, you know, Facebook, and we've got our website, and we've got our blog, and we've got our YouTube channel, and we're just like, you know, we're in every every port and every town. 
basically, wherever there's sailors. And you can find and you can find us at all these podcast catches, the places that I've got pod and the places that I've got cast. And places that I've got neither, like Spotify. And as uh, somebody said the other day, Stitcher's not got pod or cast in it. But they were just being clever. You know who you are. Don't do it again. If you like what you've listened to tonight, then tell a couple other people about us. You know, because we were kind of like spreading like some kind of horrific disease. Um, you know. And uh, oh, the other thing you could do is go to Apple Podcasts and uh, leave us a rating or a review. If you are going to be leaving us... Now, this is the one thing that hasn't changed in 18 months is the joke's still the same. Is that If you are going to be leaving us a rating or a review, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us all big-headed and egotistical and I'm wonderful enough as it is and I don't need any more. But don't give us one star because it makes us, you know, kind of cry and upset and you know I'm an ugly cryer. A solid, a solid seven out of ten. I'll do the trick. Give us a five because it's in the middle and it's average. And Apple Podcast only goes up to five. Brandon, that's the whole point of the joke. Seven <sighs> doesn't work. You try and look at seven, they'll not get seven. And then if people get can't see seven, they'll get confused and then they won't give us anything at all. <laughs> so give us five because it's in the middle and it's average, and we're just a little bit average. But the person. <sighs> The person who hasn't been average tonight until the very end is the rather wonderful, <laughs> the rather fantastic, Mr. Brandon Rollins. Yay! <laughs> Thank you very much on. for having me on. You're very, very welcome indeed. Um, <clears throat> there's only two more things to do. Sure. First thing is to remember there were many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Brandon? No, we're not <laughs> wizards. Don't be stupid. As if. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Brandon. Say goodbye, Brandon. Goodbye, everyone. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. And um, if you want something tasty in your monster tummy and you don't fancy spending more than 25 bucks, check out Tasty Humans um, because it might just fill that appetite for little cardboard bits in your tummy but until the next time that was rubbish goodbye